Hello, this is Philip here from Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast. Um, before I start this episode, um, I just wanted to sort of explain that um, some of the episodes that are actually going to be coming up um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, they were recorded um, before we heard the news of the um, uh, with age of resistance being cancelled. Um, so just wanted to just sort of put it out there in context um, based on sort of our discussions on future shows. Um, I know I could probably edit it out, um, but I thought I might as well just leave it in um, just for context. And just, I mean, I just more just want to let you know that, you know, that just to have it recorded as, um, as we originally did. So I really hope you enjoy um, this episode of, well, of the, of the Gathering Songs. This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs. Where is that book? Here's the rest of the materials you requested. Will I get to talk to the Skeksis? I have so many questions. Oh, the Lords don't like questions. Oh, why don't they like questions? How else do we learn? So you can read. Oh, how wonderful. I, too, am a connoisseur of the written word. (gasps) I've read all about you. I see you've done your research. I have tomes that go back a thousand times. What are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, what was sundered and undone shall be whole, the two made one. Well, hi to y'all, and welcome to the Dark Crystal Podcast. This is The Gathering Songs. This is Jason Legato, your host. Uh, thank you so much again for allowing me to come into your ear stream, your podcast, whatever way you're listening to this on YouTube, whatever it is. With us, we have the normal crew today. First, uh, someone who wasn't with us last time, but has been with us previously from that, Philip Mitchell, the host of the Dark Crystal Podcast, Trial by Stone. Philip, how's it going? Hey, yeah, Jason. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been pretty good, you know, considering all things happening at the moment with the lockdowns and stuff. So yeah, here, you know, here in Melbourne, um, you know, outside of Victoria, there's still, you know, stage three, but where, where, where I am is um, in, in stage four. So things are a bit, uh, a bit tight, uh, you know, with restrictions. So, you know, I think most of us are doing a pretty, pretty good, you know, not doing all right, just, you know, staying home, being safe and, um, yeah, it's it, so yeah, so I've been doing okay. Um, so you know, it's it's been sort of interesting times, I guess. You know, with uh, with the whole you know virus that's been happening and working from home and uh, yeah. but yeah, no, but I've been going good. You know, I mean, trial by stone. It's always keeping me busy. Just um, you know, gives me a little bit more time to um, making these shows on a weekly basis. It's 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 kind of it's I. For me, it's like I haven't really realized. I'm like, I've still been making podcasts like every week <laughs> with, <laughs> with Trial by Stone. So it's it's been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, we just got, you know, so much content to look forward to. And and yeah, I mean, it, and I love being back, you know, with on the Gathering Songs and, um, you know, chatting about Joe's books. Because I mean, like, I mean, like I've said probably previously, you know, these books were the big thing that started the whole podcast and essentially with the Gathering Songs as well. So um Looking forward to continuing our dis- you know, with the discussion with Flames of the Dark Crystal. Indeed, me too. And I'm, I'm thankful that you've kept these going, kept them alive, and invited me along so to uh, participate and even host. So thank you. Uh, also joining us, a regular of The Gathering Songs, author Nancy Gray. Nancy Gray, how are things going in your neck of the woods? Um, things are going as well as uh, they can be. Just <laughs> spending a lot of time inside, taking care of doing some writing and uh, doing some reading. So I'm really happy to be back and uh, ready to talk a bit uh, more about Flames of the Dark Crystal. Yep. And if you know me, I'm always ready to talk about anything Dark Crystal, especially Flames. I really love this mm-hmm. book, as, as you could tell. So, um, And last but not least, joining us for this episode is another author, Peter M. Peter, how are things for you? 
Uh, things for me personally are great. I'm working from home and lots of time to write because I don't go out much. <laughs> uh, in the area though, um, it's been interesting. Uh, people seem to be kind of lackadaisical about wearing masks. Eh, social distancing is happening, it's washing your hands, but um, the latest thing around here has been uh, parties in BC. So they've just had a whole bunch of younger folk who are just deciding, ah, whatever, you know, we'll get together 50, 60 people in a bedroom, whatever. So they've started fining people $2,000 for doing that, which I think is great. Unfortunately, they're only finding the people who are <laughs> doing hosting the parties, not the attendees. So we'll mm. see how far that goes. Boy. But otherwise, it's status quo, and I feel very lucky yeah. uh, to be where I am right now. So one, one kind of quick question that just came to my mind based off these intros uh, for the authors, Nancy and, and Peter. Uh, I'll start with you, Peter, since you were just talking. Has has being kind of in lockdown helped your writing in any way just because you can be more focused, you're not going out as much or anything like that? Uh, in a word, yes. Um, routine is always good for a writer and knowing that you're not going to be randomly having to go out anywhere, you know, even if it's nice to be invited out is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, what about yourself, Nancy? Um. Same sort of thing. I mean, I'm actually homeschooling, but I can manage to kind of fit writing in so that um, because I'm not going out as much and doing as many things. Um, yeah, we kind of in this state, we have to stay in most of the time because the, it also not many people are wearing masks or taking good precautions here. South Carolina, I think, is one of the ones that has the most cases right now so we're being very careful but it does help with the writing because um i'm pretty much stuck inside so i have more time and i just kind of work it in when i can understood understood wow craziness yeah i'm i'm here i'm here in texas and our numbers are high and my my wife and a lot of loved ones i have that are close to me and even close in proximity to me are immune compromised and things. So we're being extra careful. So yeah, I don't, I don't get out much, but even with that, I've been extra busy because I just got married, got a new house. And so, uh, like I haven't, I don't can't remember the last time I posted a video on my, on my YouTube channel, even I used to do it at least monthly or every other week or weekly, but I think it's been three weeks before that. It was like two months or something. So I'm super behind, but it's crazy quarantine life right now. And, but the world still turns. So, um, anyways, we're continuing on with this podcast. And as you all know, as Philip mentioned, we are going through J.M. Lee's fourth book, Flames of the Dark Crystal, this wonderful quadrilogy of Dark Crystal books. This is all prequel to the Dark Crystal movie. It's the time of the Age of Resistance stuff. And we're now in book four, approaching the end. We have seemed to be going slower through these last couple of chapters in this last book. I think maybe because there's no fluff. There's no filler. Like everything is very important in here. Uh, even when the characters are resting, there's a lot of really great information. Um, and I think it sheds a lot of light even on the Age of Resistance Netflix series. So I really love reading the book side by side with watching the series. You know, even though even though things don't line up perfectly, you know, we've talked about that. It's still just a, they're great companions. You know, they're they're friends. They're they're great to read side by side. But anyways, just quickly recapping where we've been, so we can kind of catch up to where we're at. Uh, we have our heroes. They went through a lot of craziness. They rested in Mystic Valley. They learned the truth about the Uru, that they came to planet Thra, that they got split, that the mystics and the Skeksis are one, but split. Like, that was pretty mind-blowing to them. I mean, it's pretty mind-blowing to us when we watch the original movie and see that at the end. And they have decided to split up as a party to continue to light the fires of resistance, kind of their main mission from Agra. Agra gave the main characters of the Netflix show a different mission. And so these characters are lighting the fires of resistance in the different seven Gelfling clans. So, so far the Deucin clan, the fire has already been lit. We've seen that in the books, the Seafin clan as well, and the Vapra clan. And that brings us to chapter nine. And in chapter nine, this chapter begins with a dream fast between Naya and Tavra. And if you recall, this is, this is something that's a little different from the Netflix show, but Tavra did get turned into a crystal spider, um, which was a, a, a crazy turn of events, really surprising. I really loved that, that twist. Um, but anyway, she's still a crystal spider. So she's currently attached to Tay's body, Tay's a, a siphon, and um, who's been like knocked out. So she's just kind of controlling her body through the spider and whatnot. She, she comes off of Tay and goes into the hand of Naya. That way they could be 
Um, that way they, they could dream fast. But anyways, we learned Naya still has a lot of doubts about being a leader, which is really, I mean, she's primed to be the Drenchen Madra. She's next in line. She's the daughter of the Al Madra. She is going to be a leader of a whole clan. And right now she's struggling with being a leader of this small party. So though she's resolved to keep going on to, you know, relight the fires of resistance, the fight against the Skeksis, she's really unsure of how to actually defeat the Skeksis. Because now she knows well, I was just planning to kind of kill or defeat, you know, or, or injure or somehow take out the Skeksis. But if I do that, I'm going to be killing, hurting, injuring innocent mystics. Like how I'm not sure how to actually defeat them if I don't do it through brute force or violence. Um, and at the same time, she also feels like her closest companions, Omri, who she thought there was a connection, and Gurjan, who is her twin brother, are pulling away from her. Gurjan's really pulling away from her leadership, and she thought there was a connection between her and Omri, and, you know, you kind of see him get friend-zoned. We, we talked about that in the last, the last episode as well. So those issues are really, really discouraging her. So still, our main protagonist is just down in the dumps, and even though she's resolved to keep pressing on, nothing is really <laughs> encouraging her that much to do it. Anyways, continue on. Tava realizes that time is really precious. I mean, she's lost her sister. She's lost her Madra. Uh, she's lost her sisters because she can't see them because of the Skeksis and whatnot. Um, she realizes how precious time is with all this going on with the Skeksis and has a heart-to-heart -heart with Naya, telling her that losing her mother and everything else has made her realize that, quote, time has become more precious. We must hold close to those we love more now than ever, end quote. Tava encourages Naya that she's proud of her for being the leader that she has become. You know, she said, Oh, when I first met you, you were just seemed like this spoiled brat and stubborn. And I had no hope for you. But now she tells her quote, your brashness and naivety were a garden in which bravery could grow unbridled by the restraint of the outside world or the worries about what other people might think of you in that garden has grown the truest, purest courage I have seen. And Naya, in turn, admits her prejudice originally against Tavra, thinking she was too high and mighty to teach, you know, because she came from the high and the, the mightiest clan, the Vaprin clan, you know, and she was just a lowly non-Vaprin. But she has to admit she's wrong. This is kind of my first question for you all. I, I really loved that theme and thought it was something that would be very, of course, you know, when, when, you, when you look at anything of, of a Jim Henson product you always think okay how would have Jim Henson felt about this because he was so involved with his stuff um, and I think this is something he would have really approved of you know he was all about you know communities coming together you know making peace with each other even though there mm -hmm. were differences and whatnot and that was a big premise of the show Fraggle Rock I learned when I was reading some some books about Henson which Fraggle Rock started in production while he was working on the Dark Crystal and it's really just a tell of how three different societies the Fraggles, Doozers, and Gorgs could live in harmony. So anyways I'm curious about what y'all's thoughts are kind of about this this lesson if you will this moral uh, whether it's something we need in our day and age obviously um, and how well it's portrayed through the Gelfling here. It's definitely an ongoing uh, theme throughout the book. There's an analogy a little bit can I, can I skip to uh, chapter 10 just for yeah, a yeah, second? Yeah, 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 go, because yeah, this analogy it. just works so well. It was on page 88. Um, they basically, are, she um, starts thinking about it. The girl thing are like one breed of flower with varieties growing into a mil million beautiful colors. The light of the great conduction split the earskecks and the skexies, whose wise, cruel minds knew how to make the most thing, and their uh, their new loyal subjects by pl plucking one of the flowers and declaring it the most beautiful of all. And so basically it's this analogy of all these beautiful flowers and then them being separated into different types. And one in particular kind of uh, being the one that was opted to be the most beautiful. I imagine the Vapra would start to feel that way you know, would become prejudiced yeah. and think that they were the better of all of the Gelflings. Mm -hmm. And um, the Skeksis were manipulating it from the start that way. And I thought that was really interesting because of um, the whole thing about, you know, with Tavra and Naya. Tavra, I couldn't stand her in the first book because she was just, she just came across as so arrogant. I was just yeah. like, God, I hate this character. And it was because of the fact that, you know, she kind of was arrogant and looking down on Naya and looking down on other people because 
because of her position, but also because of being of APRA. And I think it was interesting that these leaders were dividing them in that way to start with and pushing them to be mistrustful of each other. I thought that was a great analogy. Along the lines of what Nancy was saying, just uh, that, you know, the Skeksis are master manipulators and we're seeing that the Gelfling are finally realizing just how bad <laughs> things are. Yeah. <laughs> Even though the Skeksis kept on telling them, oh, we're, you know, here for you, we're here to help you. And nope, they're finally getting that they're not there for them whatsoever. So um, I would almost say that uh, instead of uh, a million beautiful flowers in a garden, uh, the Skeksis see them as, you know, a field of wheat to be mowed down at will. Mm. And uh, uh, that's not really great for the Gelfling. No, and, and it does just further show the evilness of the Skeksis, like, and their, like you guys said, the manipulation, like they started planting these seeds way back in the day, just by picking an all Madra and by separating the clans and declaring one, the head over the other and, and planting these seeds. are like, well, this clan is like this and this one's like this and spreading those rumors. You know, it's just, it's like that, that carriage scene in the age of resistance where Skeksil, the Chamberlain is explaining to Rion, like we, we, basically we do propaganda. Like we make lies and we turn them, we plant lies and we turn them into truths. And you guys believe them. You, you become our puppets, our pets, our slaves, you know, really, he says in essence. And you're seeing that start to play out. Like, yeah, they had all these prejudices and biases, but like, were those things artificial? Are, are, are these, should these things be real? Like, wait, we're all gelfling. Why are we so against each other? Yeah. And Doubt is a very awful weapon that can be wielded so easily. And I think that was the thing that I loved about, um, you know, with the show, with Age of Resistance, because, I mean, that that's the thing, like, you know, at the start of the show and even, you know, with the books, like, you know, how the clans, they don't, they don't get along. And I guess, you know, I mean, for me, like, I always imagine, you know, the Gelfling, you know, even during, you know, you know, thinking about the movie and just thinking of Gelfling, well, they're very peaceful people. They, they all get along and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, when we got to this era where, you know, it was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, they actually don't get along initially. And, um, and, and it takes, you know, until that event, you know, with, um, with the Gelfling finding out that they're draining uh, Gelfling, you know, and, you know, yeah. with, with the whole storyline, you know, with, with mm -hmm. Brian and, and then all the other characters like with Brea and, um, and Deet and just that whole journey that they go through. And then, you know, once you get to the end point of episode 10, when um, like with all the clans sort of, yep, we're, we're all going to stand together. Um, it's just such a, a beautiful moment, like such an iconic moment of um, all these clans, you know, now united as one. And um, yeah, I think it's really good, good storytelling as well. You know, I mean, it, it would be a bit weird if it was like, you know, if the start of the story was like, oh yeah, they're, they're all good, you know, you know, they'll work well, you know, because I think it's important, I guess, um, like with stories to have conflict. Um, and I think, you know, in sort of implanting that, you know, in that aspect, I guess, with, um, you know, through the Skeksis, um, the, the, they set up the conflict um, between mm -hmm. all the different clans, um, which, I mean, that's a story, I mean, I would love to, to see mm -hmm. or read about, like, so sort of the origins, uh, which I think we got a little bit of that in um, Songs of the Seven Gelflings, um, but I think that might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is one of those things where I'm, yeah, I'm very fascinated. And, and cause I actually thought whether the Urskeks were um, involved in, uh, you know, determining the, the whole clan thing as well, or whether it was, you know, the moment, you know, the Skeksis, they, they did, you know, they're the ones that set up the whole um, uh, Gelfling, you know, seeing them up in different clans and um, sort of setting up that kind of division, you know, that they wanted to happen. Yeah, indeed. And, and it's, it's now paying off for the Skeksis that early seeds of discord they sow. They're now reaping the benefits. Like, yep, we have them in our control. They're afraid of us. And we can just turn them against each other as we're going to see in the coming chapters. I think that's also um, telling that I think the Skeksis might have been afraid of them in the first place. Afraid of them uniting because they know that if they unite, they're a bit more powerful than they seem, mm -hmm. which was the point, I think, of kind of separating them and turning them a little bit against each other because it would mean that they couldn't 
all get together and uh, rebel against them. So. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. It's a little bit of both. The clients, some of the clans are afraid of the Skeksis, and the Skeksis are afraid that the clans will band together and uh, try to overthrow them. And that kind of is the end of their um, rule over them, like little pets or puppets or whatever. If the Gelfling all decide to turn against them, which is kind of what the book is about, mm-hmm. then suddenly uh, things aren't going the way that they wanted them to. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do have to hand it to the Skeksis that they are good politicians, you know, <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. So, but yeah, in, indeed. So, and and one like one thing I'd love to just before if you know if we're going on to to chapter ten, uh, I will say like I love the illustration of um of Tavra, um just sort of you know yes her, her gelfling form and because I mean this, oh. because I mean this whole dream fasting thing is very sort of unique because it's not like they're sharing memories they're actually sort of they're still they're just it's just normal you know communication but just almost like within the mind and then you know that yeah to see tavra like in her you know in her pure form in her gelfling form um yeah just a very striking image and i think yeah you know Corey, he, he always uh knocks it out of the park with um with his art that he's done for dark crystal so just thought i'd give a shout out to him yeah <laughs> when i was rereading this section I don't know why I didn't put that in my notes, but I wanted to. I made a mental note, but of course you make mental notes. You're going to forget about them. I didn't write it oh, down, yeah. but yeah, th- that's on page 76. For those of you who have the books, it's a beautiful illustration. Corey Godby is the artist on all of the books, interior artwork and cover art, except for issue or for, except for book number one, that was Brian Froud. But the thing I also wanted to bring up was if you're a Patreon to Corey Godby's art, he does other fantasy art. He's one of my favorite modern day living or currently living uh, fantasy artists. I'm, I'm one of his, I'm on his Patreon or whatever. He, he has been showing recently in the last couple months, every single book in detail. And he shows you how he sketched out the covers and what he sent and his sources and this and that. And he shows you a lot of variant art as well. And so if you guys want to kind of get a little more extra dark crystal art and behind the scenes on it i'd really encourage you to you know subscribe to his patreon and, and check out those posts that he does about it the other cool thing about it is he posts these all in like a super high quality format so they make really good wallpaper and, and pictures and stuff like that so oh, that's a- I'm, I'm a big fan of his art and i loved everything he did yeah i, I totally agree with you philip and that and that actually gets us into the next section of of the end of this chapter and this is something i was going to bring up is that we get another little bit of new information about dream fasting in this scene as well um, that you can even physically feel in it. And yeah, you're right. Usually we see them kind of sharing memories back and forth. But in this case, it seems like they're in a dream space. And because right now, Tavra's mind or essence is currently in a crystal spider. She's not a Gelfling. But in this dream space, she is a Gelfling. And although Tavra, you know, is a normal creature, mm-hmm. she's in Gelfling form here. It's even described that Naya, quote, she threw her arms around Tavra's shoulders and squeezed her as tightly as she could. In the dream fast, it was as if she was really there, warm and solid, mm-hmm. breath caught in surprise, then strong and protective when she put her arms around Naya and returned her embrace, end quote. And that's, that was just fascinating to me because I was like, whoa, this is like a whole new dimension of uh-huh. dream passing mm-hmm. I've never in, even seen before. And then it, it gives off um, one other little section I wanted to read. At the end of the dream fast, it says, quote, Tavra put her hands on Naya's cheek. Naya could hear another sound coming from the waking world. It was Kylan's Furka joining the mystics musicians near the fire. The dream fast faded and with it, so did the memory of Tavra's touch. Naya opened her eyes to the spider standing in her hands, end quote. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating because it also shows you, she was kind of between two worlds she was in the dream space but she could also you know it's, it's kind of when you're kind of waking up from a dream and you can mm-hmm. your dream is kind of related to something you're doing in reality and it's really weird and trippy i imagine it was something like that but anyways i thought that was a really interesting little bit of new dream fast information we've gotten so much of it from these books so i was i was really excited to see that as well the fact that she was that actually in gilfling form was in itself uh, interesting to me yeah, and I guess it's it's her me- it kind of is formed by her memory of her though because with the sword and all of that sort of thing you know she um looked like um it's like she looked like her idealized self mm-hmm. I think that that might have been part of it yeah I think Naya mentions that in her mind's eye she pictured Tavra in gelfing form and she was there, but it was mm. it, the way it's interconnected because then Tabra at the same time could reach out with Gelfling arms and embrace her as well. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, it's like, this would be something that I'd love to see. Like if they did something, you know, showing these new ways of dream fasting, you know, something like this in a way for, you know, if they make more age of resistance. Um, Cause I know like at the end with, I know with Tavrail, like, you know, with the spider, that the threader that um, latched, you know, yeah. popped out of her and it, it actually be very interesting if, um, if they actually do follow up with, um, you know, the memory of Tavra is in that um, threader that we might see, you know, in, in future oh, yeah. stories. Um, and then being able to sort of show that again, you know, this threader, like, you know, try and dream fast with Nail, or, or you know, I mean, for me, I would lo- love it to be Onika. You know, just to have that reunion between these, um, mm-hmm. with those two characters. Yeah, 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 totally. In in the Age of Resistance Netflix show, when you know Tavra dies and you see the threader detached from her face and kind of crawl off, and the the camera kind of follows it mm-hmm. and zooms in on it, I was like, okay. At this point, I'd already be, I'd already dismissed like okay the books and the Netflix show line up perfectly. I'd already kind of dismissed that. I was just enjoying the yeah. show. But yeah. when they did that, I was like, okay, that was a total nod to the book nerds right there. Like, thank you, yeah, Netflix. Totally. That was awesome. <laughs> but anyways, uh, to finish up this chapter nine uh, with that, really after that that sweet moment of reconciliation and realizing, oh yeah, we had some prejudice against each other, and we can admit that. And I should have just. I should have not judged the book by its cover, right? I should have gotten to know you first. Um, with that, the party splits, and we see Naya, Kylan, Amri, and Gurjan head to the Spriton clan on their way to the Drenchen. So their their aim is to light two fires of resistance because they're trying to light all. They're trying to gather get all the Gelfling together because currently they only have three clans. And then with that, Tavra, who's again using Tay's body, and Annika head to the Stonewood clan on their way to the Groton clan, and they get Amri's blessing to like go and help the Grotten as much as they can. You know, at first you think, oh, Omni's probably going to go because he's a Grotten, but no, he, he trusts, he trusts, you know, those, those two ladies to go and do that with, to go and do that. Um, so though they didn't get to, they, they still haven't really figured out how to defeat the Skeksis. That's a running theme through this book. Like it's, it's, it's a puzzle. It's an, it's the enigma of this book. Like how do we actually defeat them? We don't know, but we're not going to give up resisting. And we talked a lot about that word resisting in the last show. And um, anyways, that's really chapter nine. And this is, finally leave Mystic Valley. A lot has happened to our characters. So that brings us to chapter 10. And as our main party reaches Sammy Thicket, and when I say main party, uh, we, we kind of leave Tavra and Annika. We don't really hear from them very much throughout the rest of the book. So we're now back with kind of the original main characters, Naya, Kylan, Amory, and Gurjan. So yeah, one thing, this might be for the previous chapter. I couldn't remember when it happened, but yeah. I get the feeling Tavra actually split the group I think Tavra was the one who suggested it. I think she split this on purpose so that Gurjan and um, Amri were going with Naya because they are having those problems and things of that nature. I, it is interesting. Naya, Naya admits how wise really Tavra has been. And I mean, I, th- I think she has an alter motive as well as she finally wants some time to just hang out again with Annika because they haven't they haven't been together in so long and so much has happened. So it's, mm-hmm. it's also that too, but yeah, I, I'm sure she also has a higher motive of like, okay, these guys need to work some stuff out and <laughs> it's not going to get worked out if they're not mm-hmm. together. So yeah, I, I totally don't disagree with that, but mm-hmm. anywho. So yeah, our, our kind of main party we're following now in the books, they start heading to Sammy Thicket, which as you recall is Kylan's hometown. And we learned that it is really a bittersweet reunion for Kylan because this is where Skekmal the hunter killed his parents. And so he obviously has traumatic memories of the place, uh, but it's also where he was raised and whatnot. And it, but it's also a place where he never really fit in. He's kind of, you know, the nerd of Sammy Thicket, if you will, uh, the music nerd. Um, and here he admits that when he joined Naya on her quest originally in book one, that he was actually running away. You know, at first he didn't, he didn't, he probably didn't think of that, couldn't admit it to himself, but now he has grown as a character and, and is freely admitting that. And at this confession, Naya realizes too how much Kylan has grown. You know, he's originally an awkward, clumsy, I was going to say kid, you know, young Gelfling that really only came to life when he was singing. You know, he's, he's a song artist. It's kind of his main thing. But now she sees that, you know, he's courageous and it's part of him all the time. He's wielded that courage against darkened creatures, against Arathim and even Skeksis. So he has really grown. You know, he's no longer just this pushover music nerd doesn't fit in with other Gelfling of, of Sammy Thicket. But I mean, he's really become a courageous Gelfling that she can trust and look to uh, for any need she has. And as they continue to travel, Kylan is is uh, filling Gurjan in on their adventures, telling songs of 
kind of the last three books. I would love to hear those songs, by the way, but because um, it has been a while since Gurgen has been with them. And this is a really sober reminder to Naya that she did so much apart from him. You know, like they had always grown up together. He went off to the castle, though. And then she started kind of living her own life. And she had these huge epic adventures apart from him. And she realizes that this growing up is also making them grow apart. And that might be some of the tension they're starting to have. And this was just, you know, another great reminder that this is ultimately a coming of age story. And I think, you know, Jane Lee's really doing a good job still showing us that even in this final book. So I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that particular aspect of the series. I love coming of age stories. So uh, <laughs> teenagers are full of conflicts and questions and those two things go great together when you're a writer. Oh yeah, that's, that's so true. I, I think it's very fertile uh, ground and we're seeing that throughout this story as people uh, are, sorry, our characters here, our friends that we've got to know uh, are realizing the influence they have on the world and how the world needs to be changed. And as part of that, they have to change and they have to recognize that sometimes that's going to mean that the people that they grew up with, the people they love are not going to be the same. Yeah, tough reality to face, but yeah. Not even the same in their own eyes. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that that drift apart between her and Gurgen. I think Gurgen almost remembers her the way she was when they were young and that why it's hard for him to trust her to be the leader that she is now because he wasn't there and didn't see all of the amazing things that she did so to him you know since he grew into his role as a soldier in the um Skeksis castle I think he might actually think he needs to um be the leader take on that role because he thinks she's too reckless and he's probably again thinking of when she was young and she a lot more reckless yeah and um the problem is they don't he doesn't they both don't know exactly where they're going but frustration probably that he knows that she's leading them but she doesn't know what to do is also something that's kind of driving a rift of them and it's kind of sad because they are twins and they're supposed to be close, but it's one of those things that they were so far apart for so long that they're t two totally different people. Yeah, indeed. And yeah, and as they continue to journey, Kylan tells them that his Madra, who's Madra Mera, it may actually be pretty difficult to convince her to light the fires of resistance. And he explains, quote, she fears the Skeksis more than anything, fears their power and their strength, and believes the best way to protect her clan is to do whatever it takes to maintain the Skeksis' favor. She has been so loyal to the Skeksis for so long, and because for so long, it has worked, end quote. And that really sounds a lot like the same motives you see Celadon in the movie, right? And uh, that part totally reminded me of that. Like, yeah, that's, that is just, it shows the pragmatism, you know, it's like she does, she kind of knows it's not the right thing to do, but it's the best thing to keep her people safe. So it's the thing she's going with. It's like, oh, those are tough decisions that leaders have to make and, and whatnot. But mm -hmm. anyways, continue on. Um, this leads the party to conclude that basically all the Madras just care about their own clan, ultimately their own people. And Omri says it really well. He says, quote, it can't stay this way if the Gelfling are going to survive, end quote. And they knew the truth of the clans and the prejudice amongst them was really all just the Skeksis propaganda like we talked about. And Kylan even, I really like how he, how he worded it. He says, quote, it wasn't until the Skeksis came that we were divided and learned to think of ourselves as different. And Naya adds on, and it was the Skeksis who ordained the Almadra and who chose the Vapro. And then as the book says, this was the history of the Gelfling and the Skeksis. The Skeksis had charted the course and laid out the trial, and the Gelfling has followed it without even knowing, end quote. So we already talked about that a lot, uh, kind of bringing it up from the last chapter, but that's where the Gelfling, they, they kind of realize it themselves for the first time, and it is in a way really discouraging to them. Um, I, I did find it interesting that the seeds of that kind of all started with a, a show that you guys have talked about before, Creation Myths, Creation Myths Volume 3. In the third volume, the Alliance of the Crystal yeah. starts. And that's really when the Gelfling and the Podlings put their trust in the Skeksis to protect them from Macrack raids and whatnot. And of course, there's, we find out there's a misunderstanding behind all that. But it puts 
it puts the Gelfling, it's like the Gelfling saying in the Skeksis we trust and we're giving this over to you to be our protectors. And, and that propaganda scheme worked sadly, you know, like we talked about. This is a tad bit um, off topic, but something that I was wondering about, they, the Urskex, when they started to, you know, teach the Gelfling things like that and Algrove wasn't, present anymore because she was looking through the observatory and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if maybe the power of having these Gelflings as their subject was all corrupting them. And the crystal, when they cracked it, just basically um, took that part of them that was good and just turned it into something else. Because something in the movie, in the original movie that I noticed, was that it looks like Askexes is the one that's breaking crystal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I sometimes wonder if the Urskex were already changing in terms of body and their minds before that even. Well, in, in the creation myths and the movie, they, they show that when the Urskex were trying to, well, the movie doesn't explain as much, but creation myth talks about, and it also talks mm -hmm. about this in World of the Dark Crystal, that, that, uh, book that came out in 1982 how the Urskex uh come down from Thra it was kind of more like a punishment they had to, like learn a lesson yeah. uh, they're kind of banished from their their planet um and they're already like criminals in a way right but... yeah yeah so they didn't come down with just holy intentions and like oh we're just gonna help make this place better just because we're a pure heart they thought they would be able to go back at that next conjunction, but it turns out that they get split and creation myth goes into more details about it. Some of it was kind of egged on because of Ronip, mm -hmm. you know, Agra's son, quote unquote son. And, uh, and then right when they, right when they split shortly after that is when one of the Skeksis that had just recently split cracks the crystal. So those, those events were very close together, but it is. Post, uh, that's right. It is post the split. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't remember, but yeah, it no, was pretty close together. It was close together, but those Skeksis, like that, is just one half of the Urskex. So yeah, it's not far fetched at all to say, like, yeah, that was inside the Urskex. <laughs> there was a evil, wicked side, you know, if you will, or the dark side, you know, um, whatever. So I just got the feel that it was that it was growing. Yeah. I would just like to see more of a prequel with the Urskex, you know, the totally. issue zero. Here's the Urskex and, you know, before they left and, well, were banished and what exactly happened and why they're different. I mean, there are many questions, oh, yeah. uh, most of which we can get answered by observing, you know, the Uru and the Skeksis. But I really would like to know the circumstances. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of those parts of Dark Crystal, you know, I guess the Urskex are sort of the biggest mysteries of the Dark yeah. Crystal. I mean, we, we, we know some things about them, but I feel like there's so much more that we can learn from them, um, especially in, you know, creation I mean, does help. You know, in that time period. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you know, the fact, the fact, the thousand years that they, you know, work on trying to, you know, figure out how to get to the home world and all the, you know, different experiments that, that they've done and, um, but yeah, I mean, I know, like you said, Nancy, yeah, like they, um, you know, there was a, quite a bit of that in um, creation myths, how they sort of helped the Gelfling and then, um, you know, they, they built the Ori for, for uh, Orgren away. So um, yeah, it, it's just that that era is sort of, um, I'm definitely very fascinated in, like I love, love to see more of those stories. So it'd be interesting, you know, in the future, whether we get those kind of stories down the, tr down the track. Yeah, that, that would be really cool because really the creation myths, especially the volume where it splits, it's the narrator is following along a lot uh, with Ronip. And so you don't, it's not like reading a book where you get into the mind of what the Urskex are thinking or this or that. So it's still very mysterious, like, okay, how did they know what they were doing? Did they have pure motives or were there alter motives? They didn't, did they know this would happen and they could take over Thra if they, you know, there's, a lot of things that you could totally your mind can go to and you could just fan fiction it in your head uh since since they since they leave it so mysterious that's what i was wondering because it's like it's almost like this was laid out this way from the beginning because they went through and um they were already kind of splitting it into other clans before they even um were the skexies by teaching various types of gelfling on the coast how to fish and you know it's like it's like they, I don't, 
like yeah. to think of them as being completely sinister, but you do wonder if it's something in the back of mind, maybe this was something that they were doing to begin with. Yeah, it really seems, I mean, just by seeing the Skeksis in Uru, you can assume that there was some kind of dualism within them, you know, good and bad fighting for power, if you will, or not in balance, you know, that's probably how it is at the end, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those those are all good things, and man, you you could you could definitely take that and run with some great stories. So make it happen, guys! Come on, and <laughs> fiction. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But anyways, uh, to finish off this chapter ten here, what they had originally saw as a good reason for why they would fail—that is, our our party here—they really turn it on its head and use it for their advantage. I, I love what Omri says. He says, "Quote." Even if Madra Mera fears the Skeksis, and even if she's sworn loyalty to Celadon as the Almadra, we'll find a way to persuade her. She fears the Skeksis because she wants their protection. She wants their protection because she loves her clan, end quote. And if you recall, it was the same with Madra Ethri of the Sifan clan. She wanted to sell away to protect her people, but because you know she loved her people ultimately, that ultimately pushed her over the line to, okay, actually it seems like it's best if I stand and fight and not just continue to be on the side of the Skeksis. And so they conclude that love for the people would ultimately be stronger than fear. And I think that's a beautiful theme as well. You know, love conquers fear. Love is greater than any any fear. And that's what they're going to, that's kind of their plan to use to convince her. So we'll see if it happens. <laughs> I've got one more thing to add here at um, the third paragraph on page 89 at end. She's uh, thinking about, of course, you know, the separate clans and things of that nature and um and um about how the Skeksis how they're going to endure them but I like how it said if she fixated on the mystery of the stars and never looked down it was only a matter of time before she tripped it was her friends that were right in front of her now the Skeksis are the mystics of the broken crystal they were relying on her to find the path to lead them down it and she would not fail them I thought that this was interesting because it reminds me of how the Gelfling feel that Algra has failed them by looking at the stars. Mm. So in a way, it's like make Naya into the one who's going to take the place of Algra and do, since Algra was the one who told her to do it. It's like she's looking in front of her instead of looking at the stars and Algra was looking at the stars instead of what was right in front of her. Yeah, good point. Nancy, I think you and I have the same spots highlighted. That was another spot. I really liked how it said that. Yeah. Instead of looking to the scar stars and tripping over, like I need to look at right 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 around me. There's my friends. And these got we're gonna work together. I I can't figure out what's happening yet, but I know they're with me. We're gonna stand, we're resolved. We're doing this. I, I love it. <laughs> so good. So good. So that brings us to chapter eleven. Uh, this is where our heroes are abruptly <laughs> awakened in the coming chapters uh, in more ways than one. Firstly, there's two sprites and scouts, Loon and Jarini, or Garini, I'm guessing is how you say it. Uh, seemingly, they try to attack and capture Nain and Gurjin, and this is halted by our drenched heroes, of course. Uh, by this point, they've, they've leveled up so much, these guys aren't going to capture them, these, you know, noob scouts here. But this is where the second awakening comes as they learn that this all has something to do with their mother, the Drenchen Madra Lacid. Recall that Madra Lacid is the Drenchen Madra and Naya and Gurjan are her twin kids. So that's why Naya is going to eventually become the Drenchen Madra. Uh, Madra Lacid and her Drenchen clan are traveling north currently. Drenchen powers have not actually been lit, but they're pretty uh, enticed to go on the frontal and the attack. They're heading north to the castle of the crystal to attack the Skeksis, but they have to pass through the Sprites and Plains. If you pull up a map, you see that's right between there uh, to get there. And Skekong, the general, who we don't, you know, we, we don't see in the Netflix series at all, um, he's the one that's ordered the Sprites and to stop them. And not only have the Skeksis set the Gelfling against each other by way of prejudice, but now they're actually ordering one clan to stop another clan, like, and to make war if need be to stop them at all cost. So our heroes are doing all they can to unite the Gelfling. And just when they get this resolve and like, yes, we're going to do this. We figured it out. Now they're like, oh no, there could be a civil war now. Like, oh, <laughs> like there, there's so much drama and tension in this book. It's, it's so good. It's, 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 this is why it's such a page turner. It's so good. Um, but, and then furthermore, they learn what has happened to Stone in the Wood. After the Stonewoods clan, Madra Farah did not give her blessing to Celadon becoming the Almadra. She stood up against it. She resisted it. And we see more of detail on that in the Netflix show. 
uh, with the almost trial by air. Um, she went to rally her forces and marched to the castle to attack the Skeksis. But somehow the Skeksis knew this and defeated them, capturing many of them and draining them, of course, like they've been doing. Uh, then they went to Stone in the Wood and wiped it out completely. So in the books, it's even harsher. Like in the Netflix series at this scene, mm-hmm. you see you see the general there, you know, r- release a whole bunch of threaders and attack them and, and bring them in to drain them. But in the books, it's even more devastating. Like Stone in the Wood is wiped out. It's obliterated. It's wow. Yeah, no, I mean, that was the thing. Like it, it was actually cool for um, Skekunk to sort of get a bit of appearance, you know, um, in these books. Because I know he, I think he was actually in the, um, in the previous one as well. Because I yeah. know in, um, I think in the previous one, he was with um, Skeksok mm-hmm. when they um, uh, killed the old Morjart. And, you know, in the show, it's um, with, with, with uh, Skekvar. So I thought that was kind of interesting, um, you know, trying to put um, Skekung in the show, or in, in the books, I should say. Um, but yeah, just all, all these things like um, with, um, yeah, I mean, just, just a devastation, like, you know, you know, this is a very different point of view um, perspective, I guess, you know, you know, the, the Gelflings all just going to the castle, you know, with the threaders being attached and um, yeah. instead of that, um, that, that, you know, the Skex is like, ah, oh, no, well, let's just take them all out. You know, who cares about training? Yeah. seems like, oh, who cares about draining them? Um, didn't seem like a thought to them about, oh, you know, we can, we could use a more Gelfling to drain them. But in these books, it's like, nah, Let's take them out. <laughs> yeah, wipe them out, all of them. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That uh, that uh, stone in the wood, in particular, being destroyed, was done purposefully, because wasn't stone in the wood home of the home, quote unquote, of Jara Jin? Yeah, home of Jara Jin. I mean, they're like warriors. They're they're a tough Gelfling clan. Yeah, and basically, it's almost symbolic. Destroying it is like basically destroying their their um hope to become heroes and face adversity and being the ones that could potentially you know face the skexies i felt like that was significant that they want to just you know drain a few gelflings and you know defeat stone and wood they wanted to destroy it so destroy the symbol of the gelfling he was supposed to do all of these wonderful things yeah it's crush the strongest and the rest will fall in line so that's mm-hmm. how you crush your resistance and i'm sure the <laughs> skexies are well aware of how to do it since they've been setting up the gelfling to fight each other all this time yeah and the gelfling since they've lived in so much fear of them when they see and hear of that happening yeah what are they going to do and this is you know they're going to talk to Madramera. And when they start talking to her, it's not convincing her to rise up with them because they go, okay, the strongest clan just got, like their capital got obliterated. Uh, you know, and she freely admits, quote, of course the Skeksis have defiled the castle. Like she, she knows it. It's not that this is hidden information. It's not like they're bringing new revelations to her. She goes, yeah, no, of course they defiled the castle. Of course they feed on us. None of us should, none of this should shock anyone. Why do you think I've been so loyal to them all this time? Why do you think I grovel at their feet and kiss their gold and silver rings? I fear them more than death itself. Mm-hmm. And that right there was the kicker. Like as soon as I read that line, I was like, oh, pff, there's no hope for this resistance. Like when, when someone is more mm-hmm. afraid of that than death and, and I mean, she, she said, yeah, I've known this. Why do you think I've been so loyal to them for a long time? It gives me the thought that, okay, maybe Madromero knew this even before our heroes knew it. Like we thought they were the first ones. It seems like she knew a lot of this was going on and she just kept it hidden. She's like, mm-hmm. we just got to make peace and this is the best way for us to survive. And wow. I was like, but how do you convince a person like that? You know, when, when you're in our hero's shoes, it's just like, okay, I don't know if we can do this now. Oi. Well, with just my, the caveat on what I saw is she fears the death of the Gelfling, her clan specifically, more than she feels mm-hmm. dying herself. Oh, yeah. That's okay. what I took away from that line. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I can agree with that too, yeah. Yeah, and I just love that, um, you know, this bit of line, like, you know, she fears them because she wants their protection, then she wants their protection because she loves her clan. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Because I guess, you know, with, um, yeah, just, just, yeah, just the fact that, you know, fearing, you know, fearing the Skeksis more than death herself. And, um, yeah, you know, that mirror, it's almost like Celadon in a way, you know, she, 
that oh, you know, yeah. she would be willing to do anything for her own survival, much for like what Celadon was, you know, when she, you know, when she went to the castle of the crystal and, you know, ask all, you know, seven Gelfling from every clan. How often? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, it just seems like, yeah, it's just very, I guess, you know, political in a way, like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, even in general, like if you see something that you, that, that might be minor that you might just like, Oh, you know, I'll just move along that sort of thing. Um, to, you know, tending to look in the other direction and not saying anything, you know, yeah. whether you, you know, because you fear whether you might get, you know, for example, like fired from a job or, or be attacked by your own people, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's sort of a very interesting sort of, yeah, situation that um, mirrors in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it's in one, and, th- and that that's the tension. She's, she's the Madra. She is in charge of taking care of her own clan. You know, but at what cost? At what sacrifice? At what point does it go? And that, that was the, the difference between Madra and Eth, Ethri, where she's like, okay, well, we could run, we could do this or that, but at what point does it go too far to they go, okay, no, never mind. It seems like the best way to protect the most people is to actually stand and fight and rise up against this tyranny and this and that, but she's not at that point yet. You know, she still, she still thinks, so actually she probably doesn't know how bad it actually is, uh, I guess, now that I, I kind of think about it, so. Anyways, that brings us to the end of chapter 11. And, you know, we've already almost talked for an hour. So we've only gone through three chapters. You know, I think two sessions ago, we also did only three chapters. But again, there's so many good issues in every one of these chapters. I I loved this last book. Um, It still continues to just be so interesting. Page turners. And I can't wait till we get to the next couple chapters because you know, our group is still saying like, okay, well, it is still our duty to light the fires of resistance. We don't want to let Augur down. We don't want to let Thra down. This is what we've resolved to do. We're going to do it. And so they're going to figure out a way, even though the odds just keep stacking up against them. And every time they get encouragement, something gets like, ah, oh, possible civil war. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're still going to try. Uh-huh. Well, she's already not convinced and is going to just grovel at the sketchy's feet okay i guess we'll just go to bed and figure it out in the morning it's like man these guys cannot get a break and it really shows like okay yeah this is the last book because there's so much tension it just keeps building and you know i'm sure in their minds are like i hope that tavern and Annika are doing better than we are because oi <laughs> this is tough oh yeah yeah anyways will in there did you guys have any final thoughts on these last three chapters um, I just to say, I mean, like for me, just you know, rereading these chapters has just sort of been like, like you say, I mean, there's just so much to go, you know, that we could discuss about. I mean, even for me, like even earlier, the whole dream fasting thing, like Tavra, you know, like moments like that where it's like you, you could almost do a whole episode <laughs> just based on that topic alone. Oh, yeah. But there's always, so, there's always so much, um, just it, it just you know whether even just like a little paragraph or two that you could just really dissect it if we really wanted to um but yeah it's yeah. you know joe's yeah. just you know he, he's just done a great job with, with these books and yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of yeah reading you know the rest of the story i mean of course i've read them you know back when the show came out and so it's, it's been fun really um revisiting um these books again and it's it's, it's probably going to be something like once we get through you know the flames um i'm probably going to you know i'm i'm very tempted to sort of reread you know them all all over again just because just seeing them uh, from a different perspective you know now you know having the show in our minds um and just so i guess the comparisons but also just you know just the fun companions of stories that we get from uh naya and her crew yeah it feels like it's been such a long time since i read it and the funny thing was i found myself reading up to like chapter 15 because I just kept going, going, oh, yeah, what? I, I'm remembering this now. What did happen next? And then I'm like, I need to stop and go back and, you know, <laughs> concentrate on the job I was supposed to be taken apart. But yeah. it's, a, it's a very good book. Yeah, and it is, it is one, it is really fun to go. It's, I mean, yeah, I, I read the book straight through. Uh, it is fun to read it after you've watched the show. You know, you have that big picture. It's really fun to read it when you're planning to discuss it because you you pick up other details and you think of talking points and it just helps you appreciate the book in another way. And so I'm, I'm just thankful for your guys' participation and like, oh, let's just turn out about this once a month for an hour. I love it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I will confess I'm a backstory fiend. So oh, yeah. once we're done the series, uh, this book of the series, I'm going to go through all the information I can get for the backstory 
to fill in the details I now know I need, then I'm going to reread the series again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at, at this point, I will give a plug. Uh, Philip mentioned this real briefly throughout the episode, but they did come out recently with the Dark Crystal Age Resistance, Songs of the Seven Gelfling Clans. And it is by J.M. Lee, who wrote these books. And as, oh. as Philip did a, did a small interview on his, on his blog, on his uh, darkcrystalpodcast.com, he talks to Joe and, and Joe mentions how a lot, a lot of this book was kind of the world building background information he had. So it was in his mind, but you know, some of the stuff didn't make it into the books or the final drafts or whatever. Um, but it's here in the book. So it's, it's a really cool book. It's a, it's be beautifully made. If anyone wants to see, I kind of walk through, through it. I kind of go through all the pages of it in like a 10 minute video on my, my YouTube channel. Um, but if you're a fan of this of these books, this series in particular, there's no way you will not like this book. So definitely pick it up. That's that's the plug. Did I get all that info right, Philip? Oh yeah, no, you did get it all, all, all right. No, it's um, but no, it was great to have um to Joe, Joe for the website uh, because I know I, I know I wanted to chat to him, you know, for the podcast. Uh, but I know his schedule; he's been pretty busy at the moment. Uh, I think he's got quite a few books that you know that he's been working on. So. Um, but it was awesome to be able to chat to him about um, songs of the seven Gelfland clans. Cause it was something I wanted to, you know, chat to him about. And, um, and like, yeah, I've been, you know, reading that too. I'm, I'm almost at the end. I'm up to the drenching clan, but yeah, even through, you know, just a sort of little plug, I guess with the books, but um, it's, it's been really interesting, like reading all the different stories about all these um, different clans yeah. and um, yeah, it, it, it's been really cool. There's been a lot of interesting sort of, um, uh you know uh, th things about each clan that i'm like oh wow you know that's that's actually pretty cool like yeah, yeah. so yeah. without going into de into do into too much detail for those that haven't read it but um it, it i would definitely say yeah it is definitely worth a a read and um and i know there's a lot of fans that have you know they've been going through those books and you know thoroughly enjoyed them so mm -hmm. which is which is all, all the more awesome yeah it's it's great it's great so well with that uh hopefully in the future that's a book you know, that's totally perfect gathering songs material. There's also the comic books and whatnot. So we have material to last. So much, yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. Like yeah. Nice golden age of Dark Crystal. I love it. Yeah. Love <laughs> it. So, well, with that, let's go ahead and do sign-offs. And I will do this in the opposite order of, I think, how I introduced you. So I think this is how it went. So anyways, with that, Peter, M, why don't you tell us where we can find you online and leave us your final words of wisdom? <laughs> Well, the first part's easier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, my uh, uh, website uh, where I'm currently writing my sci-fi trilogy and still drafting, but still going. So that's the important thing when you're writing. Uh, that's uh, www.dwimsaga.com. That's D-W-I-I-M-Saga.com. And you can uh, find what I'm up to there. As for the words of wisdom, uh, <laughs> tune in next time. <laughs> it's always good to be on this podcast, just listening to other folks going, oh, I didn't think of that. That that puts everything in such a great new light. I'm going to have to go back and reread some things. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, secondly, uh, Nancy Gray, tell us where we can find yourself and any words of wisdom you have. All right. You can find me on Facebook as writer Nancy Gray. And I also do uh, have a writer's blog on the blogspot, nancygray.blogspot.com. And um, as for words of wisdom, just uh, keep uh, reading and keep writing if you write. And um, basically, um, just it's that uh, Flames of the Dark Crystal, the Dark Crystal series by J.M. Lee is excellent. If you haven't read it, read it. And uh, Creation Myth, there's such a plethora of knowledge about Thra that um, you should look into if you love uh, the Dark Crystal. Indeed, indeed. As you can see, we're spending an hour on like three chapters, so there's so much great stuff <laughs> to dive into. So I, I love that I didn't pre-warn these guys that I'd be like, I'm just going to give us your words of wisdom. So they're like, uh, I'm not prepared for this. Philip's had the longest time to prepare because he heard it first. So we should expect the most wisest words now. So Philip, why don't you uh, tell us how we can find you and leave us with your incredible best words of wisdom since you've had all this time to prepare. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> 
the thing I'm, I'm like normally when I'm like the first person to say something, I would be a bit, Oh no, you know, put me on the spot. Right. I need more time to think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, you can all, you can find me on uh, pretty much if you Google dark crystal podcast or you can visit our website, darkcrystalpodcast.com. That's where we have the, um, the episodes, but, um, and, and interviews that, you know, for example, like when I did with Joe, so there's some, some parts, sometimes we'll, put that on the website, uh, which is really cool. And of course, I mean, we're on every, pretty much every, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on er- everywhere, pretty much um, Apple podcasts or uh, uh, Stitcher and uh, I think Spotify as well. So we're pretty much everywhere. So, but if you just Google Dark Crystal Podcast, you'll, you'll find me um, with all the social media platforms on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and a bit of YouTube as well on the occasion. So um and um, I'm just trying to think words of wisdom. Um, Netflix, please, please do another season. Please get <laughs> great light for season two of Dark Words of wisdom, yep. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, again, thank you all for joining us for the Gathering Songs. Until next month, we'll keep reading these books. Please read along with us. Leave us your comments. We love interacting with y'all. Uh, we love reading these things. So, you know, feel free to geek out with us. This is what we're here for. So, uh, again, keep exploring Throne. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. Follow us on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast and on Twitter at dark crystal pod if you'd like to support the show subscribe to the podcast write a review on apple podcasts and consider being our patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash dark crystal podcast thank you all so much and stay tuned for the next episode of trial by stone This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com.